Welcome to the worst of all possible worlds, the first and only podcast that believes in our cab. All Robert cops are bastards. No, I'm the worst no, of all possible. Wait, no, no, no. You started with the letter R. No, A R. Oh, oh, you're pronouncing. Okay, I thought it was just R C A B. Yeah, no, that's just that's just Robert cops are bastards, and doesn't really encompass all the Robert yeah, cops yeah, that yeah, exist. Yeah. All the yeah. the mm-hmm. furniture of. Yeah. Why don't you introduce yourself? I'm the worst of all possible AJs. <laughs> and I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. Uh, Josh is out this week. You know, the uh, James Webb telescope, which just launched recently. Mm-hmm. Um, the name is unpopular. James Webb was responsible for what's called the Lavender Purge, where he got rid of all the queer people or people he considered to be queer from NASA. Oh. So they're changing the name. And in order to do that, they're sending Josh into space so that he can scratch it out and replace it with the new one. How did how did he book this gig, Brian? Oh, he's he's been doing this for a long time. You won't believe what they used to call the Hubble. Anyway, do you know what they're naming the, the Robert Webb telescope to now? What are they naming it? Paul Pot. Paul Pot, working man, born in the middle of. Where's he from, AJ? Cambodia. Uh, <laughs> I, it's a strange. It's a strange name choice. Like mm. he didn't have anything to do with NASA, either officially yeah. or unofficially. Sure. Um, but I, I'm not one to criticize. I don't have the lived experience of being a NASA, um, and. <laughs> You know, to, to An be fair, association. Yes, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To be fair, no one from NASA comes to my place of work and knocks the dicks out of my mouth because James Webb left the organization long before I was born. That's true. But Brian, you do have to get some of the dicks out of your mouth or else how can we record? Um, so today we are here to talk about Paul Verhoeven's, I would say, Verhoeven? Verhoeven's. Verhoeven? I've only ever heard people say Verhoeven. We're here to talk about Paul Verhoeven's 1980. What? Verhoeven? (laughs) You say it. I don't know. (laughs) This week we're talking about Paul Verhoeven's movie, Robocop. The 1987, I would say, rompin' good time of a film. Rompin'? Uh, Rompin'. I think, I think. Not rollicking, not rolling, not, uh. No, it's a Robin Rampian. good time. It's a Robin good time, and I I had never seen this movie before doing it for this. Had you had you any prior experience? Yeah, Robocop? I saw it when I was seven or eight on TV. The ideal age to see Robocop, more or less fine. I'd like to imagine seven or eight year old Brian just being like not impressed. I mean, it was just a movie like any other that I watched on TV at the time. It didn't. It didn't. Oh, so it, it was it on did TV. Not stand out in particular to me. So it was edited, the one that you saw. Yeah, I mean, it was still pretty gruesome. I remember pretty distinctly seeing blood shooting out of Kurtwood Smith's neck. It's not something you can easily unsee. But yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it was somewhat toned down from from what was in the movie. I, I haven't cared that much for any Paul Verhoeven movie I've seen, mm-hmm. and I saw most of them when I was a kid. Sure. And so I thought, well, maybe this one's gonna make me really reassess because I know. The big thing about his movies from this era is that they've all been reassessed. Yes, of course. And uh, so I was going into this like, yeah, we're going to get there. And uh, really? Still? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Brian, I I love this fucking movie. I've seen a lot of movies where people get shot up and this is one of them. Yeah, Um, I mean. But there are really unique special things that make me very glad I have watched this movie again. 
Yeah. They're just not a majority of the movie. <laughs> I went into this thinking that Sylvester Stallone was in it, so I waited the first hour being like, when's Stallone going to show up? Turns <laughs> out, I was thinking about Judge Dredd. And, and that that's one that people really hate. Yeah, people, people are like, oh, that one's trash. I also saw that when I was seven or eight years old. And RoboCop is considered a, a masterpiece of the Reagan era. It was amazing going through and doing research for this episode and just seeing like the incredibly deep takes on this film and like how, you know, it satirizes corporations and how RoboCop himself is Jesus Christ. And I'm watching this movie going, I, I feel like I'm watching a very different movie than everyone else because this is a kind of a fun action romp that I guess you could read into it the Jesus one in particular we'll get to a little bit later but yeah, I don't think I mean, that he holds has much a, water he has, he has a passion I guess um, <laughs> he has a whole passion he moment. does and we watch it in real time it's very very gruesome and he is resurrected but mm-hmm. there's just a lot of other stuff that just seems like kind of superficially there um, yeah, it's like if Paul Verhoeven wanted that to be a Jesus thing, he would have literally like tied him up to a cross. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's the least subtle man in filmmaking. Yeah, well, he and he also admitted to not really understanding the satire because, you know, he was new to American cinema at this point. He had mm. only made one feature before this. Uh, he had been doing a lot of films uh, in the Netherlands. Yeah. And. Uh, his he just movies, didn't the satire. There's like one movie he did with Rutger Hauer in the Netherlands that's like pretty out there. It's like very bloody and there's a lot of sex. But that was also just like th- this was when everyone was just doing what the Italians had been doing. Sure, sure, so sure. It was just like, yeah, we're going to have a lot of blood and a lot of sex because we saw, you know, Donald Sutherland, that one thing. It, you know, it, it, he wasn't necessarily a boundary pusher in those days in the Netherlands. I mean, Verhoeven's been at this for a really long time, right? right. He made a TV show with Rutger Hauer in like 68 or 69 nice. and was making stuff throughout the 70s and in the 80s. Just his his real the thing that made him stand out was that he got movies produced in right. the Netherlands, yeah, which yeah. was, you know, not the easiest thing to do when you don't have something like Hollywood backing you up. He was able to keep this machine going, which eventually got him to the United States of America and the the big bucks. Right. And he was he's kind of a national treasure, one might say, in the Netherlands. I mean, he, what else uh, do they have going for them? Uh, local celebrity weed. Yeah, um, <laughs> legal weed is pretty good. This film, if it feels a little bit like Blade Runner while you're watching it, it's because it was conceived on the set of Blade Runner. Uh, oh, really? Ed, yeah. Edward Neumeyer, who is the main screenwriter behind this, uh, the main creative force, I uh-huh. would say. Uh, was working as a PA on the set of Blade Runner, and he had this oh. idea for basically like the future of law enforcement and the the corporations that have taken over in the world of Blade Runner. Like, what if they ran the police? And he uh, basically kicked around this script for a while. The first draft of it is called uh, RoboCop, The Future of Law Enforcement, which Paul Verhoeven read and said was just garbage. Uh, yeah, his. I, I think what I saw was his wife ended up reading it and was like, "No, no, no, take this movie. Like, this is this is like a good movie for you to do." Well, he didn't understand the satire. Like, he he read yeah. it, he he read the first page, rejected it outright. Edward Neumeyer wrote back to him and said, "Hey, like, just like really focus on like the news segments." In the yeah. script, I think you're really going to dig the news segments. And, and that's very true. Um, yeah. That's mm-hmm. the part of the movie. It, 
Might as well talk about it now because it's what the movie opens with is, is a news segment. Yeah, the, these uh, are the best parts of the movie, and and, and even that's rule. understating it. Yeah, they're these are phenomenal. Yeah, this is one of my favorite things I've ever seen. Is the way Whoa. that this movie does these news segments. There, it's because he he really understands cheese. He Mm -hmm. loves working with high key lighting. Uh, The commercials are so funny. The constant break between news stories and commercials and then the things that are happening in the news stories themselves are just insane. And the first story we hear from Casey Wong and Jess Perkins, who does not get to introduce herself. And I I want to know more about her because she is an enigma wrapped in a spearmint suit. I wish that this was a movie that was just the TV stuff. Like maybe if mm. if it wasn't even just the broadcast, if it was just a movie about the TV station during RoboCop time, yeah, well, I would. This would be my favorite movie ever. I think. <laughs> I think Verhoeven is really good at building out worlds. Like he makes movies where you feel like the world is so fully realized. Um, I'm thinking mostly of like Total Recall about how oh, yeah. that that feels like a lived in society that like we're only really scratching the surface of. It has mm-hmm. a lot of like potential for exploring the backstories of stuff so like in the way that like the first like three star wars movies are just like this is a whole universe and we're never gonna know anything about all these people and now we're gonna know everything about every single character that you've ever <laughs> it's like, known Ooh, wow time. the clone wars i bet i'd like to learn more about that and then you're like huh well that's them that's yep. the, that's the clone wars it was a bunch of clones fighting so the news in this world goes a long way towards filling in the blanks and the gaps in this movie yeah. for example south africa it has a nuclear warhead mm-hmm. i guess and it's going to nuke the world the u.s is not exactly at war with mexico but we're sending troops to mexico to quell like a civil war or like an uprising and uh ronald reagan's dream of building the star wars satellite program has been a major success except when it fails and reagan has to vomit (laughs) in the first scene of the movie it's one of the like i i and i feel like it's one of those things that gets overlooked a lot like i didn't know about the Star Wars program until it was brought up on like the third version of I Love the 80s. Oh, (laughs) sure, sure. It's interesting that this started with Blade Runner because, you know, Blade Runner is like the ultimate cyberpunk movie. right? Right. It's what everyone draws off of with the neon and the sinophobia. But like it looks nothing like it. uh, Yeah, this is a a robot. Uh, This has a couple robots. Sure. It's not really a cyberpunk show i i i it does not rain it's like i it's okay my dad my dad calls movies shows all the time (laughs) it infuriates me to no end but it's it's not like he's doing it maliciously but like you know it's the old picture show and that makes it sound like my dad is a prospector from like the 1920s which he is which uh, no he is Uh, sam diego like i founded san diego he had a straw hat a flannel shirt um Overalls, but they had a butt flap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the buttons was missing. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. He was panhandling Johns. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, hey, we founded San Diego together, you and I, Brian. Let's never <laughs> tell anyone about our immortal time pact. <laughs> Hi, Dad. Uh, I know you're listening, so I hope you enjoyed my impression of you. Swedes live an incredibly long time because we repress so much, and then it mm-hmm. comes out as Alzheimer's. Um. So, oh, God. <laughs> Oh God! Uh, this entire first part, I felt like I was watching cab TV uh, because <laughs> yeah, because all- it moves so. F- it's like one news story, one commercial, one news story. 
Well, they say yeah. all the news in three minutes, like all the news for your day in three minute time. So I'd imagine that yeah. we're in the back of like a dingy cab in the middle of old Detroit because it's TV. It's all TV. It's not cyberpunk. It's CRT punk and yes. not in the critical race, you know, in yes. CRT cathode ray tube television because it's just mm. it's all about TV. It's all about like the society that has developed all this technology, but it's still primarily oriented around television. People's right, right. lives have not moved to the computer or to a handheld device or something like that. that or to the internet at all. Mm-mm, no, no network. Even though the RoboCop does himself have a probe that's yeah. also a, a decent weapon, he, he can R2-D2 his way into any like yeah. uh, data server or anything like that. But that's just not a big part of society in this movie. It is a UCB that is... Sorry, UCP. It is the Upright <laughs> Citizens Brigade of Weaponry. Uh, no, it is the USB that is also a sword. Yeah. Which is the coolest thing I've ever... Look, Brian, I really love this movie. I, I think it's such a fucking good time. Um, and I know all the interstitial stuff is a little... You know, it's probably the best part of the movie. But And the rest of it is a little bit melodramatic or whatever. But goddamn, yeah. is it a blast to watch. It's just... it's and. I don't know if it's just fucking Marvel at this point where everything is so safe and sanitized and everyone is so like hot all the time. I love this movie for how like just gross and skeezy it is. Yeah, I think Verhoeven loves like skin and he loves like blotchy skin and he loves like people who aren't made up or at least men who aren't made up. He loves women who are he loves women who are like as artificial as possible in his movies but um, I mean with three you know three breasts notoriously in in Total Recall (laughs) but I I also I will just say as a guy who is balding Mm. what what a wonderful thing to see a film that is just packed to the gills with bald men and balding men. Yeah, like, this is before Breaking Bad. This is the real boundary breaker. It really was. For bald guys. Uh, so we get a commercial for the Family Heart Center where you get to pick your own heart. Yeah, it, it has the complete Jarvik line of artificial hearts. And that's that's a real, Robert Jarvik is the, the name of the inventor of the artificial heart. This is very tuned into like real things. And I like this world where like Jarvik somehow became this like craven capitalist who makes like products for home consumption and they have this little 555 number that you can call to get your very own prosthetic heart. Yeah, and that like capitalism will eventually corrupt everything. I've studied the human heart for a lifetime and there's something you should know. Dr. Robert Jarvik, inventor of the artificial heart. High cholesterol can lead to heart disease. When diet and exercise aren't enough, adding Lipitor lowers bad cholesterol 39 to 60%. And Lipitor is clinically proven to reduce your risk of heart attack and your risk of stroke if you have several common risk factors for heart disease. The more we learn about Lipitor, the more impressed I am. But like this is this is such a good way to do exposition yeah. because you know, it's funny, it's strange, it's it's fast-paced. And yeah. it's still not giving you the exposition of like the story. It's not telling you who the people are. It's just like, here's the world that we're about to be inhabiting before yeah. we get dropped into a police station. Um, <laughs> and they have, you know, it's this commercial. It's like, get a new heart. This is wonderful. Yeah. Then breaking news. Cops are dead. Uh <laughs> One of them uh, in critical condition, a man named Frank Fredrickson, is an amazing name, and also who I thought Sylvester Stallone was playing in this movie. Uh, so you when really they had... thought Stallone was going to show up. Listen. If anything, 
I, I would have expected Arnold. They really wanted Arnold to be in this movie. Yeah, that makes sense. And later, of course, uh, Verhoeven would go on to collaborate with Arnold in Total Recall, mm-hmm. where Arnold gives, I think, one of the best performances of his entire career because he's with a director <laughs> who's just like, let's be silly and insane. There were worries and concerns that if they were to put that man's physique into the RoboCop outfit, that he would look like the Pillsbury Doughboy. Mm. Uh, so he was then cast because out they, of the they running. get a guy who's actually quite thin to play yes. RoboCop. Yes, and this was to his advantage because the RoboCop suit was built for Peter Weller. Yeah. And when Verhoeven tried to fire him midway through the shoot, he oh, couldn't no. because the suit was designed specifically for Weller. <laughs> Speaking of old Peter Weller, we see this magnificently chiseled face walk into a police precinct in old Detroit. Uh, the kind of police precinct where lapels are grabbed frequently (laughs) a lot of suspects get the shit kicked out of them there's a rogue cop who doesn't play by the rules somewhere just off screen here's the thing Brian they're all rogue cops who don't play by (laughs) the rules it's just a station full of them but they're unionized they are well of course they are they have the cop union and they're all thinking about going on strike that's sort of like Mm -hmm. the big underlying thing because all these cops are dying because they're overmatched there's just too much crime in old Detroit Too much crime is happening. Yeah, too much crime. The cops need more money and they're all covered in a very fine layer of dirt. It's like how in heart condition, everyone was very wet. Mm -hmm. Here, everyone just has very, very fine dirt. Even like you can see the cars. They've just dusted all of the cars before they drive off. And every time they do drive off, they kick up all the dust on the ground. Mm -hmm, Their lockers mm -hmm. are covered in dust. Uh, So we, we are introduced to to Peter Weller, a man who is surprisingly not covered in dust. He is playing. Mm-hmm. He's uh, new. He's the new. He's the new kid on the block. He hasn't got the. Du- he hasn't got the Detroit dust yet. His name is Murphy, and his commanding officer greets him by saying, "Welcome to hell." Uh, <laughs> but Murphy, he's pretty convinced that he can. He can clean up this town, particularly yeah. with his new partner, Officer Lewis, who is played by Nancy Allen, who is here to kick ass and chew bubblegum. And she will never run out of gum. No. no. My yeah. God. Uh, that uh, pop is the last thing you hear before you die. <laughs> but there is a long way to go before he actually becomes RoboCop. I was yeah. surprised by how much setup this movie does to really like lay out the world for you, um, because we also have corporate intrigue yeah so we 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 find ourselves at ocp omni consumer products they have bought out the cops they are the corporation now in charge of running the police in yeah and and they're making a new company town delta city they're just going to demolish old detroit get rid of all the people wipe them out probably kill them and uh, so they, they just need to, like, do a cleansing on this whole area so that they can build this new multi-million dollar city. So they have a plan. They have this big robot cop that they're going to use. Oh, the RoboCop, you say. No, fuck off. You're so dumb. You're so stupid. What are you doing here? You keep failing your way through life. Yeah. At some point, this is going to catch up to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, it- they have ED-209. Oh, man. It's the Sehelanthropus. Uh, this chunky boy. It is the Metal Gear itself. Yeah. And it it's, you know, fully AI. There's no human brain in it, but it can detect crime and uh, subdue it. So they have a board member uh, walk up and they hand him a desert eagle. He mm-hmm. points it at the robot. 
The robot says, put the gun down. He puts the gun down and it says, put the gun down. And then well, it wastes him. In the whole scene preceding this, it's all this like complete pageantry about people just applauding after yes. every single corporate speak that is said. The president of this company does not have a name. He's just the old man. He's called the old man <laughs> in a weird reference to Disney, which this character just isn't. And was, no. I don't know. And there's like a whole bunch of like power struggles here because the guy who introduces the ED is a guy named Dick Jones. He's just like, no, no, we can fix it. It's just a glitch. We can do it. But you watch the man turn into soup and someone's like, call an ambulance. And I'm like, for what? (laughs) For the goulash on the table? No, sir. Uh, Mr. Morton comes up and he's he's played by Miguel Ferrer. He's just the hard ass guy who you will later see in Twin Peaks, like Mm -hmm. some other people in this movie. (laughs) Well, okay, okay. So there's so much to talk about with with Twin Peaks and Robocop because they're the melodrama scenes are like straight yes. out of Twin Peaks. Uh, the dialogue in this movie seems like ripped straight from Twin Peaks. And I don't know if my mind was there because we have Miguel Ferrer say, you know, doing his whole shtick or if it was Ray Weiss being the fucking devil in this film. <laughs> no one can scare me quite like Ray Wise. You should watch God's Not Dead 2 where he plays the evil like ACLU lawyer no that, has to, that has to abolish God once and for all. Um, the stop motion in this movie is amazing. So they got the guy. They got Phil Tippett. Phil Tippett was the guy for stop motion. I think people have more nostalgia for the stop motion effects in old movies than I do. Sure. I I always, the fact that they're always done in twos, meaning stop motion is, is filmed like American animation where it's 12 frames a second instead of 24 frames a second, always makes it stand out in a really particular way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they do a bit with like blurring effects to try to make it look like there's a smoother illusion of motion, but it's still just, yeah. Yeah, well, and especially I- the shots where it's integrated with the rest of the scene, they have a, a very obvious rear projection. It's like sometimes the practical effects weren't perfect, folks. Yeah, no, no, sometimes they weren't there perfect. were some weird compromises that were made. Oh, absolutely, but I, I feel like it only added to like the texture of the film for me. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like. It felt goofy like Mm -hmm. uh, Verhoeven. The reason why there's so much blood and gore in this movie is because Verhoeven thought it was fucking hilarious and it made the scenes very artificial more. Yeah. Yeah. Everything in this movie is just kind of goofy Uh, (laughs) and none more so than than Ed. 209 who if he was like realistically animated would be the scariest fucking thing I'd ever seen. (laughs) But because he's he also roars. Like, yeah, they, the they have like him. these animal sounds that it makes. Well, and this movie won a special Oscar for the sound yeah. effects of the film. It didn't win best sound. It lost that, but hmm. it got a special like recognition for the sound effects. This board member gets destroyed yeah. by the Sahelanthropus. There's a contingency, though. Because Robert Morton has his own plan that he's been working on behind the scenes to use like this sort of Jarvik type system to create an artificial cyborg man. And that will probably work better than this big dinosaur. It's the first time we hear the RoboCop initiative. Yes. Turns out it's about making a cop into a robo. He really just said it's exactly what it sounds like. And he's, and, you know, <laughs> the old man says you have 20 minutes to put it together. And he's like, I just did. It's done. It's 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 just a robot. <laughs> Do you think man. I'm some Republic supervillain? Do you think I would be saying all of this to you if there was any slight chance that this wouldn't be done? I already did it 30 mi- minutes ago. Um, Actually, I will be honest with you watching this. I'm like, wow. Was there a, like was there a version of Watchmen that was in development with Verhoeven? in mind because I feel like if you were going to make like an 80s adaptation I've read the script the original script for Watchmen Hmm. and it does feel like a Verhoeven movie Um, it was written by Sam Hamm who wrote the first two 
Batman movies that Tim Burton directed. And I believe like the idea was to get Arnold to play <laughs> to play Dr. Manhattan. No. <laughs> It is 1945. I am getting locked in the chamber. Time has stopped. A clock ticks. I am standing in the room. August 17th, a nervous system appears in the cafeteria. I am sitting on Mars. Oh no, I'm back on Mars. What value is humanity, Laurie? What would value? You, would you say would you say that Dr. Manhattan would have total recall? Uh yeah. Yeah, uh, I got one. So you, this is this is your first and only. Use it wisely. So we cut back to Lewis and Murphy, uh, who are drinking out of future cups, uh, which are square because we're in the future. And he shows her that he's got a little trick up his sleeve. He can uh, he can twirl his pistol. Yeah, and it's because his kid likes this show about a science fictiony cop. Yeah, like science fictiony old west cop. It's it's everything all at once because it's the eighties. Yeah, and, and Peter Weller actually got this role because he played a uh, hero in a different serial based movie uh, called The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. TV's favorite fathers, Red Foreman and Leland Palmer, have robbed a bank. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk about Clarence J. Boddicker, the villain of this movie. <laughs> Because quite frankly, he rules. And Kurtwood Smith is an amazing actor and he is making the most of this yeah, like it's, absolute it's ham so, fest of a performance. I, I feel like most people today know Kurtwood Smith just from that 70s show or uh, Dead Poets Society. He's just so goddamn good. He really is like one of our best actors out there. And he really knows how to play a truly evil son of a bitch. Yeah. And this is sort of it's a thing that was I found very refreshing about watching this movie is that the villains were allowed to just be cartoonishly evil. Like yeah. there was there's nothing redeeming about this well, guy. He's a fucking creep. I mean, it's the 80s. All the villains were like this. Yeah. Just <laughs> every movie had villains like this. Mustache twirling. No, like, oh, man, the villain's right, but he just goes too far. You know, it's just like, no, no, he's just he's a murdering psychopath. He's just, he's just the crime guy. He does crimes. He sure does. It's like he wakes up, he eats his breakfast, he jacks off, he scratches and yep. then he's like, it's crime time. And he gets in his, his crime car to do some crimes. It's crime time live. It's just... <laughs> Musical guest, Hoobastank. Uh, How could this happen to me? I made a mistake. But life goes on. So so they chase after Boddicker and his crew. Yeah, they uh, chase after Gail Bedecker. Uh, one of the crew, uh, Joe, who is very... Particularly dressed as a Black Panther. Yes. And it's one of the only black characters in this film. The way crime is depicted from like 1970 through 1994 is everything is just Death Wish 1. Uh And so all the black guys wear berets and like camo Mm -hmm. or like crop tops or something like that. And so he's he's one of the berets and camo guys. Uh, He's part of a multi-ethnic gang of six people. Yes. (laughs) Yes, but he's also like a militant. They even have an Irishman. 
they chase this car and one of the gang members gets shot and yep. then they establish Boddicker as a mustache twirling villain by being like hey can you fly it's so good it's and he's such like, a good line so. and they throw him out of the back of the car he yep. lands through their windshield of the cop so car they have and to they stop on the highway and and uh, Red Foreman keeps going to the mill which is this mill that also has a house right there like like the 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 in-laws house in Eraserhead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to stop making David Lynch references at some point in this episode, but not right now. Not today. Uh, <laughs> so they get through the mill and it's like, ooh, this is an abandoned mill because it's Detroit. Yeah. And they're walking around and they split up, which is always a good thing to do, especially when you're outnumbered in the first place. Absolutely. Lewis sees Joe, the uh, Black Panther uh, gang member, <laughs> peeing. Yeah, she, she catches him urinating and... Uh, he catches her Myron. She has him dead to rights. She has the gun right in his face. And then she has to stop and look at his dick. And that's her undoing. Yeah, I, I, it was a uh, it's such a quick glance, too. And he immediately disarms her and throws her <laughs> off the balcony into a uh, pile of steel. What what does she land in? She falls into the garbage pit from the Death Star. That gang like really got along with each other. And yeah. Peter Weller, they helped Peter Weller train for a marathon. All of them together. What? Yeah, no, it's very sweet. Like they're a wonderful <laughs> little gang. And there's just such a great dynamic that's established between all of them. Yeah. They all have very specific roles. You can tell there's like a rich history between this gang. Quite frankly, there's so much more interesting stuff going on with the gang of bad guys than with the gang of good guys. Yeah. But we get to the point where we meet the rest of them and Officer Weller walks in and points his gun and says, you're all under arrest and gets into a, uh, a shooting match with them. He is disarmed and they decide to passion of the Christ him. Yes. Basically. Yeah. He gets his 40 lashes of bullets to his body. He's just spraying blood everywhere. It's like the blood of 17 cows. Yep. It just keeps flowing. And after his hand is blown off, Boddicker says, give me a hand, won't you? And I got I, I, I cheered. And this is something that Verhoeven just understands so innately. He has this Reagan era sensibility to him that makes all of this stuff hit uh, mm -hmm. as well as it does, which for me is like, I don't know. At some point, there's just a lot of bullets flying around. Uh, not yeah. in this scene. This scene is is very, very carefully crafted. Then they fire a final shot through his head that I was like, I mean, he's just dead now. That final bullet, the man is dead. Uh, yeah. Turns out he's not, even though on the way out, Joe says, good night, sweet prince. <laughs> and, 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 you know, what is, what is RoboCop but another Hamlet adaptation? I guess kind of. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a Revengers tragedy of a it sort. Is. It without is. Without being a tragedy. I don't think it's Hamlet, though. No, but we got to do one of the episodes where it's just the two of us where we don't talk about Hamlet. I wasn't gonna. You started it. I know. I just wish that everything we, we watched We have to set the counter back to zero now, you oh. son of a bitch. God, and I, I have to buy an entirely new calendar. I'd already torn the page off. <laughs> it says so July yeah, 3rd. Now, now we're, we're getting the this sequence where he's getting uh, rebuilt because they have the technology. They, they do. can make him better than he was before. Better, stronger, faster, and mm -hmm. all for the low, low price of $6 million. Anyway, mm. he gets turned into the RoboCop. He's mm. having like deathbed... Fantasies. This is another sequence where I think Verhoeven's more out there sensibilities really shine. We have yeah, these yeah, yeah. weird, like, 
first person shots. There's one that sets up this potential conflict with his wife. Yeah, she says, I have to tell you something. Like, very <laughs> seriously. <laughs> the payoff, I'm just going to give this one away right yeah. now. The payoff to that is like later he gets the full flashback back in his head. And she's like, I have to tell you something. I love you so much. <laughs> yeah, and it's such a turn. And it's like, oh, well, I guess that was so nothing. why even do that? <laughs> Well, and this is what this is what Verhoeven like like grappled grabbed onto like with both fists was just this idea of a man losing himself bit yeah. by bit. I also really like as they're reassembling him. Mm-hmm. You know, they're you see like through his new vision, and it's like a TV scan line. And yeah, we've, yeah. We're, we've already played so much with TV. The opening shot of the movie where you see the title where RoboCop is written in Chrome turns yeah, yeah. into TV static. But he hasn't done this by like filming video, by transferring actual video footage to film like in like in Run Lola Run or something like that. Yeah, yeah. This is a very artificial. He still wants to keep the clarity of film. So they they use this sort of filtering that I think probably it, it could happen in camera, but it was probably done in post. Mm. I couldn't find any data on like how they made the fake scan lines, but it's just these little thin black lines that go across the screen. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, as you're watching to make it look like a TV screen. It's a great, great illusion. And then they also use like, I think it's an Amiga to make the computer vector effects. Oh, interesting. As they sort of screw the targeting system onto his eyes. Yeah, I mean, the first shot we see is actually like it's in portrait mode. Uh, and then she like <laughs> yeah. twists the visor to be in landscape again, which is very, very clever. This entire sequence feels like the beginning of a Fallout game where you're just mm-hmm. seeing like little bits and flashes of like his time in a coma and him coming online there's a uh, a great new year's eve scene where they, she puts a little hat on him i uh, feel like this explains a little bit of heart condition too because heart condition spends too much time at the hospital and has like multiple days that you're there and they have like the party i was half expecting him to look down and see a robot dildo on his lap yeah 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 <laughs> marches over to the front desk i want you to take it out of me it, um, it, it has it has two settings slow and way too fast <laughs> um it, it, it vibrates but it 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 gets really hot. <laughs> oh, oh no! <laughs> you don't want, you don't want burns down there. Yeah, no that that whole uh, New Year's Eve scene was written because the screenwriter saw that there were like New Year's Eve props on set, and he was just like, <laughs> "Oh, let's fucking do that." Like th- that's actually the thing I really love about this because um, because Edward uh, Newmeyer was on set for most of yeah. this, he could just like write new scenes on the fly. Um, like it, it was just like adding more and more bits essentially to the movie. Well, and, that, and that's part of, I guess, why this movie went over budget. It's worth saying this is not a big budget movie. Mm-mm. This movie cost $13 million. That was not, I mean, that's what, 10 years after Star Wars and Star Wars cost $12 million. Yeah, I uh, mean, they weren't really paying for stars in this one either. Like, it was, right, this was a right. concept. They didn't picture. have Arnold. Uh, yeah. So that didn't take up like a third of their budget. A lot of it was spent on special effects, on the mm-hmm. uh, the stop motion and the building models and the explosions and like, mm-hmm. you know, all the big action set pieces. And that's um, why, like, you know, the the Metal Gear that he has to fight, there's only one of them. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There's not like an army of these things. No. And there is one that's in repurpose later that does get blowed up uh, because this is an <laughs> 80s action movie. The All the robots must blow be blown up. up. You got to blow something up and you got to have the bad guy. Uh, fall from the top of a building very unconvincingly yeah oh boy in this one it's so great in this one and everyone it always looks bad it always ever since uh buster keaton i think was the first one to do it as like a side 
uh, illusion and it looked very weird. And then, of course, rear window. Anyway, no and my then, feelings uh, about people falling from buildings and probably the only time it ever looked really good was the HUD sucker proxy. But Alan Rickman, I think the thing about that is that the shot doesn't look great, but the terror <laughs> on his face is all you're really watching in Die Hard. So it's just like, oh, yeah, no. Die Hard is also, I think, probably a perfect movie. All right, David Foster Wallace. Oh, come on. No. <laughs> Come on! You and Jesse Eisenberg sitting in the movie theater. Oh yeah, no, it's really good. I really like. I really like. Um, uh, I really like that movie. It's it's nice because he doesn't have shoes, and I really like people without shoes. So <laughs> I don't know. Is that is that Jesse Eisenberg slander? Does Jesse Eisenberg have a foot fetish? I don't think so. He seems I like mean, a he perfectly... wrote a play about someone who had a shit fetish. Oh, that's true. That's true. I actually, I actually think he's a pretty good playwright. Um, I saw one of his shows. Yeah, I'm not uh, a big fan of the shit fetish scene, but um, no, I didn't see that play either. Uh, anyway, was, this is <laughs> this is this has been Jesse Eisenberg talk. Uh, <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg's foot corner. I, I would, I would totally watch Jesse Eisenberg's RoboCop. I, I'd have to see it actually. Oh, it would be compulsion. great because it would just all be about Mr. Morton and all the the corporate <laughs> shit. Like, Look, look, I have I have this program for for this for this RoboCop uh, initiative, and uh, I I think I think I think that maybe you should you should you should go with it. You should probably you should probably probably go forward with it because I mean the big honky machines. I mean they're pretty great. I mean they're really big or whatever, but like they're not going to be they're not going to get what you need I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna get you what you need and then there's just a hot lady like if you think that this is gonna get me into bed with you you're right um, <laughs> <laughs> so instantly just like rips off all their clothes <laughs> and he slowly unbuttons one time I mean sure I mean if that's something that, 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 that you like uh, so RoboCop we, is done they built RoboCop they built the RoboCop uh, we'll see you in the sequel. No, um, so we're <laughs> take me down to the this Delta is, this City. This is the first time we start seeing footage from this TV show that everyone watches. Oh, is uh, this is this where this premieres? Yeah, starring Bixby. What's his name? Uh, yeah, or I like to say my cameo in this movie. Could, could you grow a mustache like that? Uh, probably not that wispy. Mine. I mean, it's it's great. It's such a it's such a stupid show. Yeah. I mean, it's not even a show. It's just like this guy. This mm-hmm. fucking guy with big glasses and a twirly mustache with yeah. two hot babes standing next to him he and they're all just like, laughing? Yeah, he kind of looks like the clown from Airbud, <laughs> like the clown that owns Airbud, but he's surrounded by incredibly attractive women and they and they say things like, "Oh, my sister and I would like to sleep with you." And he says, "I'd buy that for a dollar." Like it doesn't even like track most of and the well, time. It's interesting cuz it's like it's it's kind of there's this growl that's in his voice. It's a really unique vocal quality that he has. I'd buy that for a dollar. Yeah. But it's also that high pitched kind of nasally Midwesterny kind of sound. What we see of this show is so amazing. They give him a cake that's yeah. shaped like a big pair of tits. Yeah. So then he smashes it into one of the hot lady's tits. Yeah. And then it just like zooms in on his face and he's still just laughing at the screen and people can't get enough of this. Oh, they love They're this losing show. it. Oh and it does God, the same sort it. of thing. One of my favorite gags on The Simpsons is whenever they show an itchy and scratchy special. And yeah. it's, you know, just horrific, horrific violence. Um, still some pretty good gags. But yeah. then it always closes with the end of the cartoon and then it cuts away to Bart and Lisa laughing at it. They're laughing yeah, yeah. at it once all the jokes are done. Yeah, and so yeah. it's this weird, like, uncanny thing. Well, and it's it's great to see, again, visions of the future in the 80s were all about TV. They, yeah. they were kind of picking up from Ray Bradbury, who if you ever asked him about Fahrenheit 451, he's like, oh, it's not a book about censorship. It's a book about how TV's making everyone stupid and we should ban it. Um, right, right. 
this was like the idea is like, well, TV just keeps getting really stupid. So like, we're just going to be this completely TV addled society. And even that, that right. uh, quote, I'd buy that for a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. So it's from this short story called the marching morons uh, by Cyril Cornbluth, which is an unbelievable name. It's from the fifties. It's basically idiocracy. This sleazy real estate agent goes into the future, finds out that everyone's gotten dumber. Uh, and so he comes up with a plan to commit like genocide against uh, all the dumb people by telling them that they should start colonizing Venus. And in that story, there is a game show where the tagline is, would you buy that for a quarter? And so right. it's about like um, capitalism preying on sort of a collective idiocy that has set down in, in the future. Sure. It's so interesting that like it's still based around scripted TV. Yeah. Because if this movie had been written just a few years later, they could have done a lot with the show Cops. Because yeah. Cops opened the door for reality television in a way that, that we hadn't ever seen before. Right. Um, I mean, and we have stuff like The Running Man, right? Which is still like something that is done at a studio on a set, mm -hmm. uh, like The Squid Game or whatever. But yeah. it's like... I know the TV show is called Squid Game. I'm talking about the game within the show as the Squid Game, so I don't want any letters. You keep yes. writing to my to my mailbox, and I keep getting all of these letters. And you know what? Um, Squids can write many letters at once, and that's yes. sort of I think that's sort of what's sinking us. So <laughs> many arms. And then when you sink, you're in the realm of the squids. <laughs> they just so, want to hug Brian. <laughs> Why won't you hug them? And so it's interesting that like they they missing the prediction on like how the Internet is going to change the way that we interact with people and with the world around us, but also missing the way that TV itself is going to change in just a few short years. Right. Where everyone is more just like zonked out watching this very flat um, reality aspirational TV thing or yeah. shit like cops, which is just meant to just pacify you completely and not even give you a reaction to things. Here, everyone is losing their minds over this, I'd buy that for a dollar shit. Yeah. And people are laughing at, at just like, it's just zooming in on his face and everyone's losing their shit. And it's across all class boundaries. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. everyone from like the lowly gas station attendant to mm -hmm. the executives at the company, they're quoting the show too. Everyone watches this moronic TV show. Yeah, there's something vaguely sinister about Bixby too, yeah. which was actually elaborated on in a cut line from yeah. the screenplay, which Brian, if you want to regale us. Jess from the news agency is talking and it cuts to uh, Bixby Snyder, the actor being walked out of a courthouse with his lawyers around him and it says yeah. in Hollywood today Bixby Snyder star of TV's popular it's not my problem was arraigned in superior court on charges that he accepted sexual favors from his underage co-stars in return for job security we'll be back in a moment like so yeah <laughs> it just reveals like the rot at the center of all of this right that like everyone as you said from gas and he's station like a, to he's like an obviously gross person well he's um, bald Brian <laughs> <laughs> and we're just gross. Please, there. That's look at Emil. He's so hot in this movie. Is he? Do you find Emil attractive so in this hot movie? In this movie. Wow. Oh my god! Wow. Just, the sideburns really turned me off of him. He's like if Flea was sexy. Now we're gonna get letters. Before we were fine. <laughs> so yeah, Bixby Snyder also in uh, 
So that that was something in sort of a draft of the script. They never filmed that segment, I don't think. There, there certainly isn't any record of it being filmed. In the original script for RoboCop 2, the one that didn't get picked up because <laughs> Frank Miller ended up writing a treatment that became the basis for RoboCop 2. Oh, no. But in the original script from the original screenwriter, Bixby has actually become president. President Bixby Snyder of the United States of America, because it's like 25 years after the first RoboCop. Yes. So RoboCop is built. We have built this RoboCop. He uh, likes food goop. Uh, his his like uh, biology has been reduced down to like it's bare essentials. So he eats essentially baby food. I mean, it really is just baby food. Like he stays yeah. alive later by actually eating baby food. Uh, There's which a guy I, who eats. He's like, it tastes just like baby food. And, then and the guy goes, like, knock yourself out. And then that guy goes does. to town on that baby food. He just he baby food is his, his favorite in. treat in the world. So mm, he just yeah mm, mm, licks licks those fingers clean of that. <laughs> slightly apple saucy's goo like it's it's look if you like goo you're gonna love robocop for hoven loves him some goo many different types of goo in total recall for instance oh yes several different types me me mostly discovered my sexuality with those that three-breasted lady so uh uh so <laughs> that the- i want that that's all i'm attracted to <laughs> I'll surely find myself three tits somewhere in the world. I'll buy that for a dollar. So RoboCop has four prime directives. They've basically programmed him with Asimov's three laws, but for cops. Yes. Serve the public trust, protect the innocent, and uphold the law. And then a brief flash on the screen, directive four classified put a pin in that Chekhov's directive it's profit yeah it's profit uh, law for is profit um, <laughs> he has a gun that is also a machine gun he has a pistol that is somehow also a machine gun it's funny because like they make a point in the surgery sequence where like we see that they remove his entire arm yes and so you kind of expect that they're gonna just like he's gonna be like Samus or something he's just gonna have a big cannon like four an arm. Oh, that would be amazing. But no, he, he still just like picks up and holds a gun. It's just like stored in his thigh. But it's a fancy gun. Like Dionysus being birthed from Zeus. So Mr. Morton, the head of the Robocop initiative, is just like, let's go try this guy out. Like, let's just send him out for patrol and yeah. have him do some law stuff. So we go to a bodega in the middle of old Detroit run by two old white people who are dressed like it's just your, your mom and pop liquor yeah. store it's your mom and pop go go down to the old mom and pop liquor store and get in yourself in the middle of crime world they're held up by a man who demands to see the safe and the guy says we don't have a safe and then he just knocks over a pile of beer cans that are just sitting on top of a safe and be like it's right fucking there <laughs> So like, why did you ask? Yeah, you, you knew, knew where it was. You knew where it was. But RoboCop will have none of this. We'll have none of this robbery. Yeah. And walks in and demands that he give himself up for arrest, to which the guy responds with, fuck me, fuck me, fuck me, <laughs> fuck me, fuck me, fuck me, fuck me, fuck me. Fuck me. Which is considered resisting arrest. Yes. Uh, by also shooting several rounds into Robocop. But Robocop takes the end of that man's gun and turns it in on itself like a Looney Tunes cartoon. <laughs> and that man uh, goes straight through one of the refrigerator doors and is presumably arrested and not dead. Yeah. But again, he's not he's not taken away by Robocop 
Robocop leaves the store and basically just says, you're welcome. Okay, we have to take a moment to talk about, I think, Peter Weller's performance as Robocop, because I think, like, the movement that he's doing in it is actually pretty cool. It looks very cheesy, mm-hmm. but I am very much it's into probably, a man pretending to be, be a robot. honest, it's probably the only way he could move in the costume. Well, that's funny you should say that, Brian, oh, because oh. he had been told that he would have weeks of rehearsal with the actual mm-hmm. outfit. He was denied any rehearsal with the outfit, and he had planned in its stead a certain way that he would move that just didn't work with the final costume. Mm. So that obviously led to a lot of strife. He was sweating out three pounds a day in this thing. It was... By all means, just like a torture device that they strapped this poor man into. And it led to a lot of strife to the point where Verhoeven just fired him right out. And And then realized he couldn't because it was built for his slender body. It was built for his slender, lithe, Aryan form. Let's just say it. (laughs) I don't know what Verhoeven's doing in a lot of his movies because like they're they're. It doesn't seem ironic sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes it just doesn't seem ironic, particularly in this casting choice. But anyway, Robocop like walks, makes his way out of the convenience store doing his little robot walk and finds his way to Matt Smith and Billy Idol uh, <laughs> going around trying to collect pubes uh, seems to be their their MO and they're trying yeah. to uh, assault a woman. He stops them by shooting them in the dick. Yeah, he shoots through her skirt into the, the bad guy's dick. Showing that his homing skills are amazing because he is <laughs> and the then, robo guy. Yeah, when, when the woman runs up to him, he refers her to a crisis center. Yes, <laughs> so many times this movie feels like a Simpsons parody of itself. Yeah. None more so than in the next scene where yeah. RoboCop stops a political dissident, I guess. Where we have like a newscaster who's like, usually terrorism isn't a part of local politics, but that's changed today. I mean, honestly, the fact that they call that white guy with a gun terrorism. It was the 80s. It was different. It was a different time. This is the best part. Because the guy, the terrorist who has lost his job, he wants his job yeah. back. He's taken all of City Hall hostage, including the mayor. He's looking down at this crowd of people and she's like, I want my job back. And they're like, Robocop, you sneak in there and take him down. And Robocop, I will. And just bam, 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 makes his way up the steps. (laughs) Everyone's just kind of staring like, what the hell's going on? Clonking along the way. He's like Herman Munster. He is. He is. And he's just like, you know, keep him talking. I will get him. And he goes down the hallway. Of I love this, this guy's demands too are so good because he's like, I want a recount, and then I want to get put in the seat no matter how the recount goes. Yeah, and then he wants a car, and he wants a very specific car, and he keeps him the talking by like six thousand SUX. Yes, which is uh, a it sucks. It sucks six thousand. Robocop and just pulls it vibrates through a wall. and it gets really hot. Yeah, so. Robocop uses his infrared vision to look through a wall, which is totally what infrared does. Mm-hmm. Um, he uses it, he uses the Batman detective mode. Uh, yeah, this is a great another Arkham great Asylum. example of just continuing to shoot this on film and using practical effects because it's just nude actors painted up with fluorescent paint and lit by blacklight, and that's oh, how they wow. create the fake thermal imaging. Oh, that's incredible. You can see the guy's ass crack. Yeah. Did they do that on Predator too? No, with Predator they did it f- for real, and you know, just used actual 
uh, thermal imaging. Yeah, a predator uh, here, had a lot, a lot higher budget too because it had it had right, Arnold in right. It. Uh, so here, Verhoeven just made it very practical, and I think that the the eccentricity of that really pays off. Uh, the the terrorist also screams out, "When people jerk me off, I kill them." Yes, <laughs> which is. Oh, this movie's so goofy! So Robocop pulls the guy through the wall and then throws him out the window, and that mm-hmm. immediately jump cuts us to a wonderful news session. At Lee Iacocca Elementary School, <laughs> Robocop is, because like that was a public appearance of the Robocop, they yes. decided now we need to parade him in front of school children at Lee Iacocca Elementary. Well, also to show that, that he is that he is safe, too. He is right? your Let, friend. He's he is, your friend. He is the cop who is your friend. We, uh, You have nothing to fear from RoboCop. If these kids are fine around him, you should also be fine around exactly. RoboCop unless you've done something wrong, and something wrong in the way that we've programmed him to think things are wrong, <laughs> which I'm sure has no caveats to it whatsoever. But we get this commercial for Nukem, which is a <laughs> battleship clone where a child yells, Pakistan is threatening my border. Yeah, it like deals with complex treaties uh-huh, and uh-huh. like the Cold War. And I've never wanted a game to exist in real life more than this. one. I'm sure someone's probably done it at this point, but it's so yeah. good. And they have this like really cheesy mushroom cloud superimposed effect. I- I'd buy that for a dollar is what I'm saying. If you were to say it in like a particular like announcey way, like if you were mm. like you were saying like the host of a show, how how would you how would you say that? I'd say, hey folks, mm-hmm. I'd buy that for a dollar. You're fired. So we get to <laughs> we get to another corporation scene. We got more corporation intrigue happening between Mr. Martin, who is the head of the yes. Robocop Initiative, and uh, the senior vice president, who is a man named Dick. Jones, who you'll remember, shot up one of the board members. This, in this happens one of the in the men's scene. room, and there's like a the stock, executive lounge stock ticker on the urinals. Yeah, that's just saying numbers, just yeah. in case you want to see guy, what the stocks and, are. And this, is, this is where one of the executives quotes that TV show and says, "I'd buy that for a dollar." Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm, I, the fact that I'm not emphasizing that that is killing you. I can see it on your face every mm-hmm. time I say, "I'll, I'd buy that for a dollar." It's okay. I'm putting the wrong stress on Verhoeven, so I think <laughs> I maybe think you're not fine. wrong, but you're wrong to me. So that's all that matters. Uh, so Dick Jones has taken a huge dump in this scene. We see his legs, uh, and we see the entire bathroom flee as soon as he exits out of the stall except for Mr. Morton there's also a uh, shoe polisher right next to the, oh, I didn't notice that. The, the urinals. Not a not a person who polishes shoes, but one of those machines where you push the button on top and it spins around. It's the thing that you'd get from Sky Mall. Yes. And it's just right next to the urinals so that you can really buff the piss all the way into the leather. But hey, you know what? I, that That's how we're rich people shop, right? A Sky Mall, I'd imagine. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, they're flying business class on Southwest Airlines where you don't get a different seat, but I think you get a free beer or something. And then they're reading the Sky Mall and they're 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 getting the little uh, desk toys that you know balance, and they say things like uh, cooperation on them. I once flew from San Jose to San Diego on Southwest, and there were maybe four people on the flight, and so the flight attendants was just would just give us free booze because it was just like ah, it's our last one of the day. Let's have a fun one. Uh, and it's so the, you it's just the drunk drunkest all, I've ever been in the flight. You, you in the drank air. everything you could in the ten minutes that it took for that flight to take off and land. Yep, yep. We really <laughs> pounded it down, but I got very drunk. It was very fun. <laughs> <laughs> so Dick Jones like has a dick measuring contest with Bob Morton. Yep. 
This and, pre in in the sequel he has a Jones measuring contest. He doesn't make Brian, spoilers. He doesn't make it to the sequel. Oh, really? Really, AJ? <laughs> you you mean that there's no there's no contest where people are measuring Joneses it's, in the sequel? You think that I may be incorrect? In making that assessment? So the scene is brimming with sexual tension because they get really up close in each other's faces. Yeah. Yeah. He says, uh, you know, a lot of people call the boss a whole bunch of funny names. Iron butt, boner, <laughs> asshole. I mean, there's not subtext in this scene. And then when he wants to make a point, he like grabs onto Morton's hair and yanks it yeah. back. Yeah. And Morton goes, oh, a little bit like this is not. <laughs> because they're, an- I mean, it's like prison, right? It's like, that's kind of what they're they're getting across here. These, this is like, yeah. these men are, are reduced to their most base and animalistic form with each other. And he basically says, you know, the old man isn't going to be around forever. I'm the senior vice president. You invented RoboCop, but that abomination's gonna fuck up, and when he does, I'm gonna be there to take you fucking out. Hugh! <laughs> RoboCop sitting in his analysis chair. Do RoboCops dream of electric sheep, Brian? Well, they apparently just dream of real sheep from before they died. Because Some real he has PTSD an Abby normal brain inside him, it starts to act up. Mm-hmm. And he starts to see his home again, his child, the and and Kurtwood Smith as well. And he's he he starts freaking out. The people who are supposed to be monitoring him have systems for checking all of his vitals, but I guess they don't fucking like beep. No, when no, something's just, wrong. Yeah, no, no, they're just eating. They're just chilling out. They're having a good time. <laughs> it's, um, it's like the it's like the beginning of Network. When he starts just going on his first monologue and swearing and everything, and they're just still talking about dinner. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he's got uh, this movie also has Julia Louis Dreyfus with. Uh, it's not really her, but like it's her with like the biggest glasses you've ever seen that I actually could like stand to make them bigger. But she is, <laughs> she's like the main scientist who's like in charge and is just like uh, in charge of like his well being of Robocop's yeah, like yeah, yeah. emotional well being, and she's completely slacking off on the job. So Robocop gets up and leaves because. What are they going to do? You Women can't are stop not Robo good Cop. in the workplace in this in this show. No, he has some very interesting takes on women, <laughs> is what I will say. They, they drop the ball very fast at all times, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is better than, I guess, the alternative of doing very good work at being crimes. At this point, RoboCop goes, yeah, he, he, he he's doing the Frankenstein's monster thing. He busts out of his chair. They try <laughs> to restrain him, and he just... He opens every door because he's RoboCop. Yeah, it's really funny because also all the scientists are like, we are not touching him. Like, he's just going to go. Like, we're scared yeah. and someone should do something, but we can't because he's he's Superman. And he heads out to start hunting down these vague apparitions in his mind. Yes, and this is when he's confronted in the hallway by Lewis, who yeah. says, you're Murphy, aren't you? And that name lodges itself in his head and he yeah. continues walking. I think one of the big missed opportunities of this movie is that he doesn't move like a Roomba and just like runs into a wall and then has to recalibrate and run into another wall and recalibrate. He's off on a mission of revenge, which we will attend to after this commercial break. Well, hello, listeners. Bixby Snyder here, star of It's Not My Problem, that one show literally everyone watches. Due to a staggering amount of lawsuits levied against me by former employees and every sales associate at the local Boston market, I want my meatloaf. I've been forced to start shilling from the only store I'm still allowed into, Dollar Tree. At Dollar Tree, you can buy everything for a dollar. A boob cake. 
A cake boob. Boobs covered in cake. A cake covered in boobs. A tiny hat. 14 tiny hats. 14 tiny hats worn by a tall man. A book on birds. The tall man looks like my father. I can't believe it's not hand cream. The tall man is my father. A box of jam. The 14 tiny hats obscure my father's eyes. A pool floaty. His mustache looks like my mustache. The concept of take a penny, leave a penny, but it's covered in crumbs and spiders. A single salami. When he talks, sand tumbles out of his mouth. Cool sunglasses. The hats are for people he hurt, he says. A Capri Sun. He opens his hands and reveals another tiny hat. A pack of sponges. It's for you, he whispers. A box of crayons. It's for you. A ticking clock. I put the hat on my head. Bug spray. I feel the sand trickling into my brain. Fruit by the foot. Everything becomes sand. A scorpion. My father raises his hat, revealing not eyes, but endless desert. A warped cactus. Welcome home, son, he whispers. Sand, sand, sand. Welcome home. So go to the Dollar Tree today and explore all the things you can get for a dollar. Dollar Tree. I'd buy that for a dollar. You know, the the thing that, that I'm disappointed in, I mean, I haven't gone to fill up gas in a while because I don't have a car, but um, mm. I guess the big thing now is people just put up stickers of Joe Biden pointing to the, the, the display on the gas pump saying, I did that. Right. And or they just put up a sticker that says FJB, uh, LG, LGB, FJB or whatever. They're trying to make it look like LGBT, but it's. Fuck Joe Brandon. Uh, and Kings of comedy. What's funny is I saw this last year when the gas prices had pretty much just gone back to normal. They weren't actually like high gas prices yet. Right. When I realized I had finally made it to the Midwest when I was driving back to New York. And I think I sent you guys this picture. Yeah. I was in Indiana. Yeah. I pulled off the road because uh, Steve Alford's hotel was there and I was going to take a picture in front of that and send it to my mom. Are um, you related? No, we're not related, but goddamn, I've been asked. And <laughs> just now by me. Well, yes. Well, because he was a coach over at UNM. So whenever I'd go to the Albuquerque airport and they'd see my ID, they'd be like, oh, are you related to Steve Alford? And I'm like, no, no, he's a bad dude. I don't like him. Um, but. <laughs> So I filled up some gas and here they had a sticker that I think should have become the standard sticker. Not I did that. It was just a picture of Hunter. Yeah. And it said these gas prices are higher than me. <laughs> hey, all yeah, all you conservatives listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Get those stickers. You yeah. dumb cunt. Yeah. You don't know how to do anything cool. You suck shit. Speaking of something else that's higher than Hunter Biden. We find a lot of people snorting a lot of coke. Here we go. Um, it's it's worth noting that the executive behind the RoboCop initiative is an irrepressibly horned man. Yes. And the better the RoboCop program gets, the more he just starts like pressing his face into other people's. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He uh he has two hot models. Uh he announced in the executive I'd buy scene. that for a dollar. Um RoboCop has gone rogue. He's Rogo Cop. Rogo Cop. And we find one of the killers, Emil, the hot one, 
Yes. Holding up a gas station. Okay, let's just be very clear. I understand the energy of it, but you're looking at that man and saying that's an attractive fella? Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. So he's holding up a gas station, and the gas station attendant is uh, doing homework, I guess. He's going to architect school Yeah, or he's something. a real bookworm, this guy. Yeah, so Emil steals the money and then also gets the pump to start up so that he can fill up his motorcycle because he's a bad dude. Yeah, he's a bad, bad guy. And somehow I guess RoboCop is just able to track people. Yeah, well, he can track when crime is happening, which, again, the rules of that seem pretty nebulous. And yeah, does he just use Star for... Wars somehow to do that? Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that would, that's actually. So, so he, he finds Emil, is not pacified by Emil's hotness, mm-hmm. and he uh, he stops the, the holdup, or tries to stop the holdup, but he gets all discombobulated, and Emil recognizes, unlike all the cops that had shared an office with this guy, yeah. or a locker room at the very least, this guy immediately recognizes just from the dude's chin that he's the guy he 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 blew all the way to hell. Three well, or four he says days the ago. same line. He says, "I'm taking you in, dead or alive," which is the oh, line yeah. that Murphy says to him earlier. Uh, which sure. again seems pretty vague to be yeah, like. It's there's not, only it, one person who's ever said that, and that yeah, man it's is not dead. Like, it's not like the twirling thing where it's like, okay, we've established it's unique to him. It's just like, okay, he said a cop line. It's like you have the right to remain silent. Yeah, yeah. That's I, just like I know who you are, <laughs> Officer so he just Murphy, keeps, who he lives keeps going. Uh, we killed you. We killed you. We killed you. And Murphy's like, oh, what? The, 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 there's a gas station explosion. Yeah, uh, yeah. Emil's able to blow up the gas station and get away, and tries to get away, and then immediately runs into a parked car <laughs> and flies through it like Looney Tunes. It, it's uh, amazing. He's still alive. He just goes to jail. Yes. RoboCop then makes his way back to the precinct and uh, uses his dongle, his knife dongle, yes, to access the police records to match his face with and like he known sees crimes. That Emil is on the record as being part of Kurtwood Smith's gang. And so he finds Kurtwood Smith and he looks through Kurtwood Smith's crimes on the crime pewter. Beep, boop, beep, beep. Turns out. And then that he guy sees killed Murphy. the victim of Kurtwood Smith is himself, who is Murphy. And then he goes and finds his old house and yes. has his flashbacks. There's a robot realtor. Yes, there is a robot realtor. Uh, he lives on Primrose Lane. The house has been bought by something called VM Industries, which turns it into like a house of the future uh, in order to sell it. Um, all like the flowers are like wilting and dead. I guess they just have um, not attended to this house they're trying to sell. <laughs> nope, it's mostly been abandoned because people are like, we don't want to live in the house of a cop who got killed, I guess. Um, also, where are his wife and, and, and son? Yeah, we don't actually see. He doesn't reconnect with them. They have just left, I guess. I think Officer Lewis at one point says, don't worry, they're fine. But they've moved on because they have to have this like love story between like it's been a week officer lewis and officer well no because it is a new year at least remember because they did celebrate the yeah, new doesn't year mean a whole year passed not it's necessarily. just a very mild winter in detroit in the future because of global warming or something I, who knows that's true uh the i guess fu- it is it is like heart condition again where they're just like by the way eight months have passed yeah surprise um i think it, this does a lot better than heart condition though uh, because it actually does like a montage sequence where Harkin was just like, surprise, it's eight months later and there's no in between. <laughs> so I want to say that Peter Weller's mouth acting is really good. You know, a lot of people complain when they play Batman. A lot of the actors who have played Batman complain because they have just such a limited like 
face stuff they could do with their face because of the mask. So there's only like such little acting that they can do. But Peter Swear Weller, to me. Swear to me. Swear to me. Swear to his me. face looks so puffy in that scene, and I think it's because the mask is squeezing his. It's cheeks. squeezing it, and it's also probably very cold. So he's just, Swear to me. Swear to me. Wait, also, to what, me. what? What? I, my problem with that line is he's emphasizing the wrong word because the guy says, "I swear to God." And yeah. then he says, swear to me. So the emphasis swear should be, me. swear to me. I'd swear to me. For a dollar. Yeah, but what he says I'd instead. I'd for a dollar. Swear to the dollar. <laughs> but um, Peter Weller has even less to work with because he doesn't have eyes. Uh, yeah, for yeah. For a they large gave him, majority they gave of him the, like, Cylon visor. Yeah, so he's just doing a lot of, like, lip quivering and stuff, which I thought was very effective. Um, and this is the scene that Verhoeven actually clung on to like this is the scene that he really identified with was robocop walking through his old house and getting glimpses of the man that he was before he got turned into a robot Uh, this confronting of like everything that he's lost right and we smash cut straight from him punching through the tv to the berlin nightclub level in hitman 3 yeah he go he goes to a rave full of wastoids yep which is also where leland palmer is yeah okay do you know what Ray Weiss's character's name is in this movie? It's Leland Palmer. It's Leon Nash. This guy is the ancestor of Pluto Nash. We're tracking down the killers. We're tracking them down, just like OJ started doing in 1995. Leon Nash kicks RoboCop in the balls because he think that's, thinks that's going to work. Does RoboCop fuck? The answer is no. <laughs> it costs extra. Yeah, it's like how Mercedes has introduced microtransactions about seat warmers now. You have to pay like $150 yes. a year yeah, to unlock that. Yeah, you have to subscribe that. to your seat warmer. You have to subscribe, you have to, subscribe to, your penis. to RoboCop's dick. The guys are in jail, except... For Kurtwood Smith. Uh-huh. And what's he's he up not to? in jail. What's he up to, Brian? Uh, you'd think he'd just be up to his whatever crimes and not doing stuff that relates to the main plot. And you'd be very wrong for some reason. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's also on top of everything else, being a drug kingpin, being like the king of crime in Detroit. He's also a contract killer yes. and has been hired by he's, Dick Jones. He's, he's simply Detroit's crime guy. All this crime that's happening in Detroit, it's all because of Kurtwood Smith, actually. Yes. It's his profession. Yes. They all to have to make go through the him. crime happen. He is he is the Napoleon of crime. He he goes to the executive who created the RoboCop program, who's doing the coke, and he has the ladies. He does not have a titty cake. The um, ladies are so turned on by the fact that he's a vice president. <laughs> and old Red Foreman walks in and his first words are bitches leave. <laughs> Kurtwood Smith puts the other executive on the screen to be like, hey, I'm killing you now. And he does. Yeah, he shoots him four times in the legs. He gloats on the TV screen. Oh my God, I forgot about this. But uh, Boddicker tongues a grenade like it's a clitoris. (laughs) He's having a great time. Now Kurtwood Smith, who is Detroit's crime guy, Mm -hmm. the designated crime guy, meets up with Sal, Detroit's cocaine guy. The DCG, both of them. It's it's very, it's very confusing, confusing at their meetings. Um, <laughs> they're they're, the they're working factory. out a deal. They're they're yeah. They're at the big cocaine mill, and they're mm-hmm. like, hey, maybe cocaine should team up with crime for once. Yeah, and this guy, <laughs> Sal, is his name, uh, an Italian crime lord uh, who we know is Italian because he's drinking a glass of Burgundy, I guess, uh, in a big old wine glass in a cocaine factory, which is just like it's so many hats. It's so many hats yeah. to stop being a person and become a hat rack. Kerwood Smith's tactic for this is to finger the man's burgundy 
and uh, lick mm-hmm. it as if it were baby food off of his fingers. Robocop comes in. Now yeah. that cocaine has teamed up with crime, cocaine is crime now. Yes. And RoboCop busts up the crime place. This is an action sequence that I just thought it's just a this is where it was just like it's just a bunch of guns being shot. The whole room is full of dust now and Yeah, but it's still it is, happening. But there's something so funny because he just kind of stands there like a mannequin. So there's yeah. all this action like pew 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 like oh. it's like it's like jumping and there's really guys quickly. like shooting each other, like guys who are on the same side. Sal gets killed by just like one of his dudes. By like a stray bullet. Up. Yeah. But every time it just cuts to Robocop and he's not moving he's just kind of slightly like, like rotating his upper half and that's it it's the most violent production of evening primrose you've ever seen <laughs> gets a hold of of kurtwood smith yeah. kurtwood smith's like i have diplomatic immunity like in that movie you have to and, obey uh, the law you can't kill me you can't um, kill me I'm, I'm working on behalf of the executives i'm working for dick jones this scene for me perfectly encapsulates paul verhoven style which is why throw a man through one glass window when you can throw a man through four glass windows. <laughs> Robocop throws him through a glass window just to immediately pick him up and then throw him through a different <laughs> glass window. And this happens four times. This is it's for the sake of the law. AJ, he's it keeping is. the peace. The law. Sorry, wrong movie. That's Judge Dredd. Which you haven't seen. Which I have not seen. You can't be quoting Judge Dredd. You, you don't know what what he talks like. I know he sounds. I know exactly what he sounds like. It's the law. That's Travolta. <laughs> That's just you having trouble. Now RoboCop is not dissuaded. He has arrested Kurtwood Smith. All the like actual detention, the, the aspect of getting him down to the station, that happens off screen. Mm-hmm. He's going to the office for that. now. We don't have time he, for that. Robocop's going to get to vengeance. Dick Jones. He goes to Nick Jonas and yeah. he goes up to the office. I'll show you to take a solo career. And then uh, Bioshock happens. Yep. He cannot shoot. Yeah. Robocop's any... going to do cop against the executive. And then he finds out that the fourth law of robotics for Robocops is you can't arrest the executives. Yes. Anyone who is working. Which is a good failsafe, considering that the other robot had to kill anyone no matter what. Maybe even especially if they're an executive. Yeah. You'd think that the guy who knows about this in the RoboCop program Hmm. would have known not to put that into his robot program. Yeah. That's competing with the RoboCop program. This guy, Dick Jones, sees RoboCop. Basically, it's his kryptonite, right? He falls Mm -hmm. to the ground. He's twitching. He can't Yeah, he starts to shut down. He starts to shut down. And he's going to finish him off by having RoboCop do battle with good old Eddie. Ed 209, the Sahelanthropus, emerges and chases RoboCop. And there's nothing the RoboCop can do to stop it because it's too powerful. Except. Except. He just goes down some stairs. (laughs) (laughs) This movie rules. (laughs) And the Ed 209 falls down the stairs and I think starts bleeding like a sheep. Yeah. If I'm remembering correctly. It sounds it sounds like a crying child. Like it sounds oh, yeah, like yeah, a yeah, yeah. It's like this weird yeah, yeah. It's kicking its legs, it's moving its little machine gun arms up and down. It can't get up and Robocop just kind of shrugs and leaves. It's like, well this was a bad day. But when he gets to the garage downstairs, the police force are waiting for him. And, and then a bunch more guns just keep getting shot over and over and over again. Jesus Christ. 
Robocop. Except this isn't the Jesus Christ scene because he's he doesn't die here. He already no, did that. But his own people do turn against him, uh, which I guess sure. is the Jesus metaphor. I, 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 the only I like that there's one cop who's like, wait, we can't do this. We're cops. And then the other cops are like, shut up. First of all, we've established at this point that guns don't really hurt Robocop. Yeah. But now guns hurt but Robocop. A lot of guns. A lot do. of guns hurt Robocop. So Robocop falls to a lower level of this parking garage. He gets rescued by Officer Lewis, who knows who he is. Mm-hmm. And they go and hide out at uh, an like old a steel mill. Yeah, a different mill. Yes. Just, a very, just a lot this, of mills. It's Detroit. This place is lousy with old automated factories and such. This whole thing was also shot in Dallas, which is amazing <laughs> to me. Like, there's like almost no shots from Detroit in this film. Dallas is the Detroit of America, but um, Detroit is the Detroit of America. No, it's in Canada. What's happening? What's, What's happening? happening is that you're uh, going crazy, AJ. You can't trust your senses. You're thinking incorrect things, and, and I need you... To get that under control while I go next door and steal jewels, hmm. like in the plot of uh, that I, famous play about that gaslight that goes up and down and there's a lady being convinced that she's going crazy. That play mm-hmm. called Angel Street. Yes, that's that's the famous phrase is Angel Streeting. Yes. So we have uh, <laughs> another scene in the boardroom where now Boddicker uh, has returned just cut up to fucking shit after his being thrown through four different windows. And he has a very horrible conversation with the secretary outside where he just takes the gum out of his mouth and sticks it on her nameplate and then sets the nameplate in front of her and then tells her she can keep the gum, which I'd like to say that this feels over the top, but I don't know. Some guy has done this, right? Some fucking asshole has done, must have done this, especially in the 80s with all that fucking cocaine. With all that gum. Oh, no. Did he steal it from <laughs> Lewis? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So Kurtwood Smith's gang is going to get released from prison. It's basically it's just like we're, we're showing the allegiances and everything like that. Uh, we cut back to the news. The Star Wars satellite has killed more than 100 people in Santa Barbara, California, in two, including two retired U.S. presidents. Yeah. So the OCP. Uh, yeah, you know me. They have mm. let out the gang. They've given them the car that Emil wanted, the sucks car. They also yes. gave them a gun that shoots explosion. Yes. It's just you pull the trigger and something in front of you fully explodes. No matter what that thing is. A store. At whatever degree. Sometimes it's a huge explosion if you're aiming at something big. Sometimes it's a more manageable explosion if you're aiming at something smaller. Yeah. So Kurtwood Smith shoots the, the gun that shoots explosion at the sucks car yep. and it blows up, which yep. must really sucks. It sucks to be that car. I'll it say sucks that. you off. Oh, no. I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> so this scene is really fun. Uh, it's a lot. It's just like the all the henchmen sure. just having a blast shooting <laughs> things. And then uh, they just start calling each other the F-slur. Uh-huh. Uh, just a bunch. Because it's the first time, too. No one no one has really been doing slurs up until this point. And yeah. now, now we're in full faggot territory. You forgot this was the 80s, by the way. They're not good guys. They aren't good guys. So then we, we get a face-off at the middle. Well, you know, Robocop has to recalibrate his, his shooting stuff. Yeah, we get a practices. nice little, like, love scene between him and Officer Lewis. Yeah, we see his face for the first time. And it's so cool. He practices his targeting computer by shooting shooting these cans of baby food, jars of baby food that she's gotten him. 
Uh, they have pictures of babies. So Robocop learns how to shoot again by shooting a bunch of babies. The gang gets to the mill. They're going after Robocop. And at one point, Emil has gotten his car and the Robocop right there. And he's just going to run into the Robocop. Yep. And Robocop, who does not move fast, no. steps to the side like one step. <laughs> Literally one and step. And Emil drives into a giant tank, just a big fucking like water tower a type silo, tank. Yeah. That doesn't that has a huge sign on it. Yes. That labeled toxic waste. Yes. And he becomes the toxic Avenger. Oh <laughs> my god. This he becomes a mutant. It's haunting. This prosthetic <laughs> makeup is haunting. <laughs> And he wanders around the mill like, oh, I need help. And Kurtwood Smith runs his car into mutant Emil and explodes him into liquid. Yes. Uh, <laughs> he also sounds like a werewolf. Like he he, yeah. he howls like a, like a werewolf would. And he just keeps saying, help me. And I'm like, dude, I, you're not making it out of this movie. Um, <laughs> but it is it is hilarious how quickly he just turns to soup when hit by the car. Like, there's just no structural integrity to his body anymore. He's just, he's a meat balloon and he pops. Yeah, it's great. It's a lot of fun. Then we end up in this, like, polluted river of effluent. Yeah. And we get the final uh, fisticuffs where... Yeah, Ray Wise is trying to drop uh, steel beams... On the RoboCop while the RoboCop is trying to shoot Kurtwood Smith. Yeah. Uh, Kurtwood Smith has, for some reason, left the gun that shoots explosion uh, back in his car. Yes. Which, why wouldn't you have the gun that shoots explosion with you if you're fighting the RoboCop? It's very heavy and he's very by... tired, Brian. Yeah. Raywise successfully drops all of the metal junk onto the RoboCop. And comes out and says, I did it! I dropped the steel! <laughs> and then is immediately exploded. Yes, because... Officer Lewis has grabbed the gun that shoots explosion and she shoots the big building that Ray Wise is in that operates the crane. And so the whole thing explodes because of the gun that shoots explosion. Yes, we get our final battle between uh, Boddicker and Robocop. Boddicker gets dongled. The probe comes out of Robocop's knuckle and he just shoves it right into Red Foreman's neck. And I think Officer Lewis says something like, I'm dying. And Robocop says, don't worry, they'll fix everything. Which implies that she is going to be a Robocop as well. Yes. That does not happen. That she does not also too? become a RoboCop. No, she is not a RoboCop. She's just a lady. So RoboCop goes back to uh, the OCP headquarters. He runs into the Sehelanthropus, which after mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of effort was finally removed from the stairwell. Yes, a lot of screaming. It's the one that they have. Again, there's no fleet of these. No. It's in front of the building. Yeah. And uh, RoboCop has the gun that shoots explosion. And so he, explodes he shoots it, it, yeah, and explodes it, and it just his legs now. He did what Frazier always wanted to do, which was explode Eddie. Are you saying that Frazier wanted to jerk off the dog? Mm-hmm. I disagree. I don't, I don't think you have his motivation there. Well, then he jerked off his son. Does that help? Frazier? Yeah. What? Yeah, Eddie's, Eddie's, Eddie, Eddie was two dogs, his father and son, and he jerked off both of them at the you same time. You made it sound like Frazier jerked off his own son. Oh, no, Frederick. Why does everything son. with you go back to zoophilia? What's happening there? Nothing. What's a zoophilia with you? 
Jesus Christ. <laughs> so RoboCop shows evidence to the board, basically, that yeah, Dick Jones... Dick Jones is a bad boy. He's a bad boy because he, he recorded him, but he can't take action against him because he's still on the board of executives. Uh, we find a great loophole around this when the yeah, old so man... Yeah, so Dick Jones takes a Desert Eagle yep. that, that they still have in the boardroom. The Desert Eagle that caused the problems with the board member who got killed by the Sahelanthropus. Yeah. And um, holds the old man hostage. He, he holds him hostage. A classic 80s movie. You got the hostage at the end he's he's got the executive he's like you can't do anything to me anyway i'm getting a helicopter and, and getting so out of the, here the, again who has no name the old man just says jones you're fired and it very calmly the with a desert eagle pointed at his head and then robocop is able to kill him immediately because he's fired and he shoots him and uh, jones falls through the window and turns into a Gumby while plumbing. Yeah, his, into his arms back. keep getting longer while he's falling. I, I don't really understand what happened there optically, but his you know, arms are very long. It's like it, they'd accidentally spliced in two scenes from Muzzy, the program that teaches you how to speak a different language. Like it had that sort of like weird Prince Guy vibes to it. This is just for you, isn't it? Muzzy? Um, you didn't know yeah. you didn't have Muzzy? No. The is only time I've heard that feet? word was as an anti Islamic slur. Yes, yes, that's that's French they're speaking, and no, these children aren't French, they're American, and they learn their fantastic new language skills with Muzzy. You didn't have Muzzy? No. Uh, Muzzy I didn't ruled. learn any languages as a kid. Well, you might have learned French if you had a Muzzy. I'm just uh, I guess. You can get it in German and Spanish. They're our sponsor for if this If any week. of our listeners have ever heard of this slur program that teaches you a language, M-U-Z-Z-Y. You people have heard of it. It's sound a off in any of our replies, and I guarantee you no one will. That's, <laughs> that's not true. It's very popular. True. You're using present tense? Yes. Is popular? Yeah, people are still buying Muzzy. People though. use Duolingo and hey, uh, fucking Rosetta Stone. Uh, where my Muzz heads at? All my Muzz heads come to the front, uh, and we'll have no ourselves a good time. No one knows what this is. We'll speak. We'll speak in French to each other. Specifically, the phrase "Je suis la jeune fille" because that's the only phrase in French I know besides "Omelette du fromage." So, Robocop wins. Uh, yeah, and then he says, "My name's you know whatever his name is." My name's Murphy. Yeah, and then it Ba-dum-bum. cuts immediately to the credits. And that's the RoboCop. He, he hasn't destroyed the bad corporation, which is bad. Uh, he He's just... He got rid of those bad apples in the corporation, Yeah, Brian. now he can just... He's, he's taken down uh, America's most terrifying criminal, Kurtwood Smith, mm-hmm. and then also this dick guy. The thing that it is most obsessed with and the thing I think it tackles most uh, successfully is the corporation angle. And yeah, I mean, this is again, this is the 80s. This is the era of the mega corporation, the big polished building that all of these these yuppies sit up at the top at and they do their cocaine and they buy things for a dollar. I don't think there's a lot of subtext as to why corporations are bad or specifically why corporations owning police departments is very bad. Yeah, yeah. And there are at least some parallels, I think, between them outfitting the police with giant tanks that have perhaps excessive force attached to their giant grenade launchers and the modern thing of police departments inheriting like military tech, essentially, you know, yeah. like tanks running through the small towns of America. I think that's pretty prescient. But like my biggest problem with the movie is that 
it just assumes that corporations taking over police departments is the bad thing and not yeah. the police departments themselves. Early on in the movie, there's this whole threat of a strike and then the cops do eventually go on strike so that there's a huge like crime like increases exponentially because all the cops go on strike and so everyone just starts looting everything right yeah immediately when in fact when police have struck in the past crime goes down that's just statistically what happens yeah there's not really any comment made and some would argue that the reason that Verhoeven movies work the way that they do is they don't actually make the comment they just let the situation be as exaggerated and strange as it is and move on Right, like, Starship Troopers. So I think much is a big part collateral of that. damage that comes from every fucking RoboCop intervention. Yeah, like that liquor store gets really fucked up. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, gas, the station, gas station explodes. It's a crater. It's a crater in the earth of old Detroit. The robot is an interesting thing because it was invented as a piece of social commentary. Uh, right. The the term robot comes from Carl Sopek. Chopek. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, his play R-U-R, Rossum's Universal Robots. Right. Um, robot itself comes from a word meaning slave. And so Rossum Yikes. is a guy who is genetically engineering slaves. Now, the original robots in R-U-R are more like the genetically engineered or cloned humans in Brave New World. They are not made out of metal and electronics. They are artificially created biological life. So he has machines that make the muscles and the sinews and the DNA and the riboflavins or whatever. And riboflavins, you know, it's it's human beings created on an assembly line who are just as human as you or me. They just weren't born. Right. And they are developed as a as the new frontier of slavery, as the new frontier of labor. And uh, if you can tell this playwright was a socialist mm-hmm. and uh, the, the robots eventually rise up and have a, have a revolution of the robots. Right. And so we see robots constantly being used throughout the history of science fiction to be like a comment on society. And so here, of course, RoboCop is this overly militarized police thing. Yes. And and he's he fil- fulfills some of that same like Rossum Universal Robots purpose, right? He's mm-hmm. built to destroy labor. Um he's built to like undermine the the policemen, the good and honest working policemen of our of our forces in America. What he actually ends up being is a pretty apt metaphor for the mindset of most modern policing in this country. Yeah. Everything is out to get you. Everything you, the is very out to get special you. boy, the very special RoboCop. Yes, and you you are the one who can determine what crime is because you have programmed into your system like the sole arbiter of what is good and what is not, mm-hmm. or like what is a crime and what is not. And that's something that the movie never really uh, tackles too deep into is what exactly is programmed as crime into his head. Like we see yeah. robbery and we see sexual assault are definitely Yeah, it's all in the there. stuff that you see in a movie from yeah. this time. It's like all the things that you would expect to see. Yeah, there's no moral gray area that RoboCop has to really finagle in this. Yeah. It's good and it's evil. And that was sort of what was par for the course in action movies in the 80s. Um, and there's something very refreshing and entertaining about watching something that is on that level but mm-hmm. I, I don't know they're they're like all whole theses written on this movie and like it's important cultural significance and i think that robocop has actually grown beyond the movie that he's in because it's just yeah. kind of a campy fun action movie yeah i, I like ebert's take on this which is um so he says the broad outline of the plot develops along more or less standard thriller lines but this is not a standard thriller 
The director is Paul Verhoeven, the gifted Dutch filmmaker whose earlier credits include Soldier of Orange and The Fourth Man. Mm. His movies are not easily categorized. There is comedy in this movie, even slapstick comedy. There is romance. There's a certain amount of philosophy centering on the question, what is a man? And there's pointed social satire, too, as the Robocop takes on some of the attributes and some of the popular following of a Bernhard Getz, right? Because huh. Bernard Getz was a big part of uh, pop culture at this time. The guy who like shot those those people on the subway. Right. And he was seen as sort of a, a vigilante hero. A- again, this is the Reagan era. So we had this huge uptick in crime during the 1980s. Yeah. There was a lot more drugs on the street because of like Iran-Contra. And yeah. there was a lot more just destruction of communities that was happening yeah. economically. And so that led to, you know, more gang involvement, things like that. But uh, this stuff has basically been the drum that movies have been beating since Death Wish. And Death Wish is this very just ridiculous uh, right wing movie. And this movie doesn't turn into a parody of those movies. It's just a very silly example of that kind of a movie. Yes. And that's how it delivers the satire. I would also like to say that Robocop as Jesus Christ I think is a very flawed take on it besides the superficial aspects of what happened in the plot because Murphy before he becomes RoboCop isn't trying to buck the system. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But like yeah the 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 Jesus thing is like sure he dies and comes back blah blah blah. Like yeah. uh, it's just fucking Jesus metaphors are always just the laziest thing that you can do cuz you can kind of point to anything that has a good guy in it as being a Jesus metaphor, especially mm-hmm. if something bad happens to the good guy. I think what's interesting about this one is that we would see Jesus coming back and then just killing people. Yeah, like, and like, I think I think there is something there to the fact that like this era of Reagan's is also a highly Christian evangelical era. So right. people do think of Jesus as being this violent agent of the empire because they're all Christians and it's a Christian empire. Right, right, right. So it is it is showing I guess it's showing you what Jesus would be. What what it's just reflecting what Jesus is in America. And people responded to that and they said, yeah, that's fucking cool. Like this movie did great and people didn't even with the the fucking I'd buy that for a dollar stuff like that's it didn't really register as much as a satire. Um, And I don't think it is just a flat satire, which is part of why I think I'm just not as interested in a lot of it. But um, well, to be fair, again, Paul Verhoeven did not understand the satire. So like he couldn't lean into it. And the sequels both had scripts that at least their first drafts were written by Frank Miller, who is a fascist. Yes, who was an actual fascist. So Verhoeven's career ends up really taking off after this movie. This cost about 13 million. It was over budget, but it made that back. And then and then some and then some and then some people love this movie. It made over 50 million at the box office. So then he makes Total Recall, which is a huge movie, right? 60 yeah. million something budget. Arnold is the star. Uh, big, sprawling, like way too long thing. And people love it. People they still love can't get Total enough. I it's actually a like huge movie. Yeah. And it's not even his biggest because his next movie, Basic Instinct, ends up making hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. The adult thriller, is, man. I'll tell you. Yeah. And it's like maybe the very last one. Yeah. The last successful one for sure. And then he did Showgirls and it tanked. Yeah. Um, and this is not even counting because Basic Instinct and erotic movies of the 80s and 90s made a lot of their bread and butter from home video sales. So there were a bunch that were very successful, popular movies that just didn't make a big splash in theaters. Yeah. Um, 
Showgirls also makes a ton of money in the home video market. Over a hundred million. On well, I the mean, record. the box art for that was very provocative. You know, it's good box art. It's really good box art. Uh, more Twin Peaks stars, and yep. um, I'll tell you, he's has Paul Verhoeven worked with everyone who worked on Twin Peaks. <laughs> Log Ladies in Hollow Man, but no one's seen it, so no one can confirm or I've deny. I've seen it. Hollow Man. You saw Hollow um, Man? Yeah, Ke- uh, Kevin Bacon. Like all of these movies. It's fine. Whatever. I saw it on TV. The thing is, Showgirls, you know, it fails in theaters. It's not actually a failure overall. Mm. He gets another movie out of the deal, right? He's able to do Starship Troopers, which is like classic him. It's teaming up with the screenwriter. It's all the old stuff. Of RoboCop, yeah. And it's it's the mid-90s and people just aren't buying it anymore. Because people didn't go for the social commentary. They went for what they liked in the movie. And Starship Troopers was old hat. At that point, it was just it was it was past the appeal of a movie like that. So it it, right. it tanked at the boss box office. The next movie he did, Hollow Man, same same situation, tanked. Um, he's had Hollow too Man, many tanks in a row. Yeah, Hollow Man has also not had any kind of reappraisal like these other movies. Yeah. Hollow Man just uh, there's I, there's really nothing there. I think he was trying to make something that was less Verhoeven-y. Yeah, it didn't succeed, and so then he doesn't make another movie for quite a few years after that. About five years, yeah, and then yeah. he returns to the Netherlands and sort of starts making things there. He's just yeah, recently and now had he's kind of a guy who makes European movies, right? Like yeah. he makes it like L was in French. Uh, Benedetta, I believe, is his yeah uh, the nun's his most recent one, yeah. A uh, film that uh, that just came out, and uh, now he's working on a new project with Edward uh, Newmeyer, who wrote RoboCop. The screenwriter Edward Newmeyer, for his part, uh, has spent the career between writing RoboCop and now literally only writing Starship Troopers movies. Uh, he wrote all four, all three direct sequels. Uh, yeah, yeah DVD they were sequels. like directed, yeah. He said that he was rumored to be working on a true sequel to RoboCop. Fine, that's what we need right now is yes. the true sequel to RoboCop. Yes, RoboCop need- also got, you know, so it got two movie sequels yeah. that had less of the satire in them. It got a TV show that didn't last very long that used, I guess, a couple of the ideas from the original sequel script. Right. Um, and then it got a, a kid's cartoon. Oh, what? In one episode, RoboCop uh, has to face off against bigotry against RoboCops like him. So that was, the thing. you know, I saw this movie when I was a kid and it just felt like uh, another movie from this era. And so I thought, well, you know, everyone loves Paul Verhoeven. Maybe like once I get back to this, I'll be like, yeah, this this movie really, really rocks or something. But like, yeah. <laughs> I love the stuff that's really good. Um, but the other stuff just doesn't doesn't do anything for me it's just like it's just an action movie with a robot and guns yeah i i mean like i said i there's just not a really a whole lot to plumb within like the things the themes that the movie brings up are interesting but the movie doesn't seem particularly interested in plumbing those depths what i think the movie really succeeds at is building a world that feels fully realized it's it's sort of like how with like josie and the pussycats is doing a similar thing it's doing a parody of the era of the time while also celebrating it like it is totally a product of that point in time yeah like both ironically and unironically right and i guess that appeals to me more because i i think that's a point in time that's interesting it's underexplored we don't really do a lot of stuff about the 90s and 80s nostalgia will never die sure won't and i don't fucking care about the 80s yeah. i think it sucks um it's, yeah. it's interesting to, to pick apart reagan because reagan is sort of we talk about the 90s as like the end of history point but reagan was the last time we were like defiantly like here's the empire here's where we keep going we are going to be he was the first one to say make america great again 
That right. was his tagline. Yeah. And so we are as not just ascendant, but continuing to ascend. And then by the nineties, we're settled in, but we still like, we're at the top, but we're not doing this whole, like we need to become the robo country. We need to make America robots again. And so uh, it, it is interesting in that it's just that like, I don't know, we explore the eighties so much that sometimes I just don't give a shit. <laughs> Unless it's evangelical shit, and then I can go on for days about it. But this is evangelical <laughs> shit because he's Jesus, Brian. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Robo-Christ. Robo-cop. Robo-cop. See, I, the I problem love when you do that is because Jesus Christ Superstar has that same melodic line as the song Rosemary from How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. So oh. now you're just singing Rosemary. Suddenly yeah. there is music. In the sound of your name, Robocop, Robocop. Robo-cop. And then you win a Pulitzer. please make Verhoeven stop. Hey. Hey, I know hey. I'd get there eventually. I think this movie is a good time, but I don't think that it's particularly the movie that we need right now. And it seems <laughs> like, especially with police forces getting just exponential amounts of money and RoboCop himself will probably never come to fruition, but like they have robot dog cops now uh, that can just attack people at will based on the programming behind them. And what this movie does, I think do very effectively is show that the people behind RoboCop aren't going to program in like good shit. They're going to program in their own biases and they're going to program as we move more and more into like relying on artificial intelligence in law enforcement. And it's going to be programmed by the current cops we have who are, you know, linked to a system that is inherently racist and violent. Right. And, and like, it's like, I don't know if, you know, like if you've ever talked to a cop, if you ever had a family member become a cop, they're yes. the most insane people on the planet. Correct. They're fucking imbeciles. They all have like secret names. Like I've, I've had multiple people I know become cops and they like change their name on Facebook because then they go into these like KKK fucking ass groups. Right. Where they just say the most racist shit you can imagine and fantasize about killing whatever minority is on their mind this particular day. Well, because the way they view the world is inherently like this movie does. It's like without yeah. cops, the world is chaos. People will not stay in line. There's 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 three classes. There are the elites, there's the working class which is police officers, and then yes. there's the criminals. Yes. Those are the, the those are the three genders of society. And here's the truth of it. They like to claim that there are three, but in a cop's mind, there are cops and there are criminals. Yeah. They're really well, because the anyone elite, can yeah, become the one. elites in the cop world, there are the secret elites who are, you know, probably just mostly Jews, um, right. who control the crime. Not control not not who profit actually from everything the cops do for them. Right. <laughs> no, no. It's not it's not the actual elites. It's this other shadowy group that's controlling yeah, everything. The, the secret elites. Yeah, they have to get their elites in power in order to knock those other elites out of power. And we are severely outmatched. Like, RoboCop is invulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. He gets shot with a million guns. And even, like, it takes so many guns to take this thing down. And the truth of it is, is, like, that's what we are in comparison to the cops. They have Mm -hmm. this, like powerful technology pretty much already i mean it's they don't have frankenstein robot cop monsters they don't have robert cops but like but you 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 also just don't need that you just have a tank or yeah. fucking whatever right yeah and you know as 
fascism works its way uh, to the top of like American society. And the way that, that I think that fascism has like this, this pacifying agent, this dumbing down agent, right. Which is expressed by the, the TV show that continues to play with the pedophile on it. Yeah. Who then becomes president of the United States, much like if someone was a reality TV star Hmm. who became the president of the United States. But but Brian, he would have to have like sexual allegations against him. Yeah, yeah, it would be like, that's true. The one thing that he doesn't have in common with that guy is the pedophilia. Yes, definitely not. (laughs) I think if anyone were to be able to offer me a way out of experiencing a future with Robocops, I'd probably buy it for a dollar. I'm the worst of all possible ages. And I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. All right, that's it for this episode. As always, we are a listener supported podcast. We are not brought to you by any advertisements. We use that space for anything coming from the sick and twisted mind of AJ Diddy. We are brought to you by our good patrons over at patreon.com slash worst of all. That's patreon.com slash worst of all. And I'd like to thank our newcomers. We have a lot from last week, and they include Casey Williams, Soap, Kinsey M, Angela Woodack, Jesse Coleman, Aaron Jankowski, Asa Wagner, Mama Coffee Cat, Chuck Ball, Crystal B, Jacob Harwood, Jamie Lady, Charlie Evans, Christopher Lindstrom, E. Punan, Walker P., and Carson Ellis. Thank you all so much. And of course, a very special thank you for all of you who have listened to this podcast and decided, I'll buy that for a $10 a month. And those people include Ludo Ergo Ferro, Samuel E. McConnell, I Hate Brian Alflor. Katie Wall, John John Johnson, Dara Swisher, Rosie Armstrong, Tony Diddy, Hannah White, Ashley Stoneman, Nikola Donov, Timmy Sexton, Diana Berge, Glug Bungleberg, Poor Richard's OnlyFans, Silverbear909, Alexa Valentine, Nathan Woods, Annette Alford, and Noah Washington. See you next time.